Welcome to another episode of The Happy Runner, a podcast for all who love running and those who want to start running. My name is Roman and today I will talk with Brody, a physiotherapist and the host of the Run Smarter podcast about running misconceptions. Hi Brody and welcome to the Happy Runner. Roman, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you are a physiotherapist and the host of the Happy Run, uh, Run Smarter podcast. As far as I can tell, you help educate runners to make smarter training decisions. Today, we are going to talk about common running misconceptions. But before we dive into the topic, tell us a little bit about your running history. Yeah, so I actually started as a recreational runner quite late in life. I know people say they start running in their 40s and 50s, but I was probably mid-20s when I went transitioned from a, a world of playing basketball um, to becoming a recreational runner. And it was just training with my sister to train for a half marathon and yeah so that was about six or seven years ago now caught quickly caught the bug and since then i have done um several i've done one marathon i've done several half marathons i've done several triathlons as well so trying to keep up some variety a little bit and uh i have the last couple of years found a love for trail running and so done a couple of events um here in australia just getting out in nature and um, competing in some of those but they're quite short it'd be anywhere between 5ks and 15ks something like that okay so there are certain running niches we have road running we have trail running and then we have those uh distances from 5k to 10k half marathons marathons even ultra marathons so where do you fit in uh I would say I fit in somewhere on the shorter distances. I think um, I tend to thrive and just enjoy my the, the love of running if it's like under, or say under 20Ks along those lines. Um, it's I don't take myself too seriously. And like I said, I love the variety. And if I was to train for a marathon, a lot of it would be dedicated to, um, you know, running and running where I do like cycling, I do like swimming, I do like doing my gym work and uh, yeah, I haven't lost a love for it yet and just continue just to follow the the distances and the, the terrain that I love, which um, is me not taking it too seriously. Okay, so back to the topic I mentioned. Uh, going through your web page, mm. I will put a link in the description of the podcast you wrote in your blog about misconceptions when injured, strength and mobility misconceptions, and also shoe and feet misconceptions. So what are the most common misconceptions when injured? Um, if someone's facing an injury, they have an injury right now, a, a big mistake that people make is they think that complete rest is what the body requires. And a lot of these misconceptions that we're going to talk about today, 
they make intuitive sense and that's why i guess the misconception is there and it makes sense that if you're injured yes there's a an area of the body that's quite sensitive or it's been overloaded so what we should do is just back off the back off the injury a little bit give it a couple of days off just let the body do the magical thing that it does which is um heal and then when you get back to running it should be okay but that's total misconception and a lot of runners get into um, deep trouble if they do get injured because it's been overloaded and then they try and uh, combat that with complete rest and what we need to understand and why this is a misconception is because while the injury itself is overloaded and the tissue the tissues surrounding that injury site are quite sensitive they can't tolerate a lot of load currently and that's just what happens when there's a lot of sensitivity around an area but if you if it's in this kind of weakened state temporarily weakened state while it's sore if you treat that with complete rest let's just say it's seven to ten days when you come back from that injury if you go back to your normal running loads you're trying to you're overloading that injury once again and then it flares up again it becomes more sensitive so it's weakened uh, that structure because it's more sensitive it's it can no longer tolerate the loads that it used to and so the, the runner thinks oh maybe i just need more time off so they completely rest again and further weaken that structure and so you see this vicious cycle of this pain treated with rest and contributing weakness and it's just this downward spiral that can continue for months and months and it just leads to further sensitivity further weakness and a further reduction in capacity so if what was once um, a 10k run you could tolerate quite well now we're quite sensitive that it's now being flared up at say the 1k mark or 2k mark something like that so these are misconceptions when injured so what do you think is the best to do when in an injured state yeah and it's a good question and it's why you probably need the guidance of a health professional or a running coach or someone who's been there before because it will depend on first of all how irritable the state is how how much you've overloaded that injury and what your current baseline is and what the current injury can tolerate and so what we want to do yes if you've overdone things you've run a marathon or something and your knee is flared up and quite sensitive we do need to give it some rest which would be around maybe two days maybe three days but definitely by day three you're loading it in a particular way that it's preserving a lot of its strength but not flaring up symptoms so you need to find this really fine balance that does require expertise sometimes or it requires a very methodical trial and error just to see how you go because we want to really preserve the the strength we want to make sure it doesn't weaken and we don't fall down that spiral but we also don't want to flare up symptoms and so it's just learning where that state is and so i can give you an example if we have that flared up knee um, and going upstairs or going for a jog right now is really stirring up symptoms and causing a lot of irritability if we were to do say squats that might be too irritable by day three but if you were to sit against a wall and do like a wall squat that's like only one quarter it's not a half squat it's probably a quarter squat and you're holding that for three lots of 30 seconds 
that's still putting a lot of demand through your quads, still putting a lot of load through the knee and just, um, I guess, it's still stimulating a lot of that muscle reaction. You're still, it's not complete rest, you're actually engaging it and um, maintaining a lot of those nerve fibers and yeah, just creating a lot of stimulus around that area. And so that could be step one. And then step two, once it's the pain sensitivity settles down a bit more, then you can probably start doing wall squats. So instead of just holding, now you're actually moving through that range. And then maybe by day six or day seven, you're back to doing squats or hopping or jumping onto a box. Um, and we just play around with slowly progressing you back to what would be a functional exercise of running. And just playing around with symptoms here and there. If we go from say wall squats to doing actual squats, and the knee flares up, it won't flare up a lot because we're only just going slowly step by step. And then we learn from that and we back off for a couple of days, we back off doing something um, a little bit lighter and then we slowly progress our way back up. And that can be done with any injury. Exceptions would be stress fractures. We definitely need to um, treat that with rest, but any other running related injury that's due to overload this is how we tend to approach it a very active recovery which is um, encouraging strength and trying to preserve a lot of the capacity and a lot of the strength that's um you've built up through the weeks months years of running before the injury okay thanks brody so let's move a little bit on and explain the strength and mobility misconceptions sure uh, so I guess what people, one of the biggest issues around strength is it's, it's my job to try and convince runners that you need to do some sort of strength work. It's a big hurdle sometimes to convince a runner to start doing strength work. Um, but it's an even bigger hurdle if they finally start doing some strength work. What they do is a lot of body weight exercises. They do their body weight lunges they do their body weight squats calf raises or single leg calf raises and they think okay i'm finally doing this strength work i'm finally going to reap the benefits reap the rewards of doing a strength training because we know that strength work does help running performance we do know that strength work um, helps an endurance athlete but we do know we also know that if you do body weight exercises in the form of a strength training session you're not going to receive the, the benefits that a weight training actually piling on the weights and doing something quite heavy will have. And the way I like to explain it is the body, the muscles have um, three main buckets. One bucket is your muscle endurance. The second bucket is strength. And the third bucket is power, like plyometrics, how fast you can move things through power. You're, if you are an endurance athlete, you're training for a marathon or you're doing ultras your your endurance bucket is quite full most of the case it's full to the brim for a lot of runners and if you go into the gym and you finally have time to do some strength training exercises and you just do high reps body weight type of exercises like three sets of 20 three sets of 25 that's just working your endurance bucket which is what is already full to the brim and you're not tailoring anything to the strength component or the plyo power component so while you're in the gym you might as well start having the intention to slowly um, increase the weights 
And so we want to do this safely. We want to make sure that you've got the right technique and you've adapted slowly over time to tolerate more and more weight. But once you do so safely, the goal should be to actually start lifting quite heavy, doing lunges, squats, deadlifts, calf raises with <clears throat> enough weight so that you should be feeling really a lot of fatigue by the sixth and seventh rep. You should be able to do about an eighth rep and it's really tough to do a ninth. You shouldn't be able to do a 10th. That's how heavy you should be training for. Uh, and we do, we have studies to show that uh, if we take a group of runners with baseline characteristics, baseline fitness, and we subject one group to bodyweight exercises and we subject the other groups to either strength training or plyometric training, the strength training, plyometric training, they uh, improve their endurance times, they improve their half marathons and marathon times, whereas the bodyweight exercise people don't improve at all. And so that kind of holds to my analogy of the buckets being full when you're just tapping into endurance when it's already full to the brim. Uh, so a lot of strength training should be done for runners. Last but yes, last <laughs> but not least, shoe and feet misconceptions. What are they? Yeah, there's there's a ton. I, I can pick oh, a couple. Yeah. Um, there because there is a common experience that a lot of people that a lot of runners have when they have to decide what type of shoe, what type of running shoe would benefit them. A common experience is they walk into a shoe store and they have a look at your feet. They have a look at um, the shape of your foot, whether you have high arches, whether you have flat feet, or whether you're somewhere in the middle. And they might have a look at you walking. They might get you walking over like a, um, a pressure pad to see where you're distributing the weight and say, oh, you're pronating, oh, you're um, a neutral, you're a supinator. And then they'll allocate a shoe based on those characteristics that they've learned about you. And there is, um, well, the evidence will show that there's zero correlation between the shoe that you need and the foot shape that you have. And there's, if we were to look at, say, injury rates, we know that pronated people that pronate their feet don't get injured any more than someone who has a supinated foot or a neutral foot. And we know that the, the shoe that they wear doesn't have, like, the type of shoe that's prescribed for them doesn't have the any correlation between performance or injury, their risk of injury. Uh, so what I do suggest, if this is just confu confusing a lot of people, well, what shoe should I get if there's no correlation between foot shape and the type of shoe I require? I do tell people that they do need to try a bunch of different shoes and see what they feel most comfortable in, walk around in them, hopefully you can run in them and see what best case scenario is for you what feels better what's the most comfort we call this a comfort filter and there's um, a lot of research particularly around ben onig who's a researcher who does a lot of work into footwear um, has proposed this um, preferred movement path and this comfort filter so there's a um, the studies that are slowly emerging are slowly starting to support those who just find a shoe that's most comfortable for them they'll thrive more and potentially get less injured um, but you do need to try a whole bunch of different shoes to see if that shoe fits your preferred movement path. 
Um, so that can help clear up and it's a pretty simple message. Just try a bunch of shoes and see which one's most comfortable for you. Okay, so we covered shoes and what about feet? Yeah, I, I guess um, a lot of people will be told that they'll either get thrown into a category of like a yeah. pronator or like a, a supinator and they will constantly be told, oh, let's just say they come in with Achilles issues or a plantar fasciitis and they go and see a, a therapist. The therapist will tell them, oh, you are a pronator or an overpronator and this is why you're getting injured and you need an orthotic or something to help reduce the amount of pronation that you have. Um, when in fact, like pronation is a very, very healthy movement for the foot to do. And we actually do um, prevalence studies to see if the pronators do get injured more often and they don't. And they're, if they're in the clinic and they are injured with their Achilles or plantar fasciitis, um, yes, they might be a pronator, but you've been pronating your entire life and you've only just developed plantar fasciitis in the last couple of weeks. So something must have changed. Your body is used to pronating um, the same way that you've always done your whole entire life because that doesn't change. Uh, what might have happened is, yes, you pronate, but in the last couple of weeks, you might have gone from a, a mileage of, say, 20 miles per week to 50 miles per week. And we do know that training errors are the big contributor, contributing factor when it comes to running injuries. Um, so that might have changed and any sort of spike in training doesn't matter what type of foot shape you are or how much you pronate um, would be that link and so it's very easy for people to come in and then they make the association you're a pronator you have plantar fasciitis it must be the link between the two when in fact it isn't um, the prevalent studies will show that actually the pronators uh, will get injured less often than a supinator or a neutral foot um, and there is a, a really nice one. The sample size of a study around about 1,500, 1,600 people where they um, had a look at their foot shape. They had a look at how they pronate, what degree. They broke them off into four different categories, the supinators, the neutrals, the pronators and the overpronators. And they all put them in a neutral shoe. And then they all do the same amount of running and we see who gets injured first. And there's no correlation. They all get injured at the same rate. If anything, the pronators get injured slightly less. Um, and what we know about the biomechanics is that pronation, that when that foot rolls in, it actually absorbs a lot of the load. And if you pronate, you're slowly decelerating the body and you're slowly distributing the load compared to someone who hits the ground at the same rate and um, will pronate a little bit. It would just mean that more of that ground reaction force is being absorbed through the body at a quicker rate. The slowing down of the body over a large amplitude through that pronation means that we're absorbing that ground reaction force over a greater period of time. So we're absorbing it um, a little bit more than if someone was a neutral foot. Um, so what we know about that can actually make sense of why we find those prevalent studies that the pronators get injured slightly less. Um, so it's totally contradictory to what therapists tell might tell you it's totally contradictory to what you might see on websites and what looks flashy if you say oh you're an overpronator you need an orthotic or you need a supportive shoe um, otherwise you're going to keep getting plantar fasciitis and so this is where a lot of these misconceptions um, start manifesting themselves and it makes sense doesn't it it just makes sense if someone was to 
look at a foot collapsing as like, oh, that's falling out of alignment. It's um, moving up into the knee and moving up into the hip and causing everything to fall out of place. We need to put something underneath that foot so it stops collapsing and magically aligns you once again. It kind of makes intuitive sense, but it just doesn't hold up with science. Okay, thanks again, Brody. I'm sure we gave our listeners a new insight uh, into running. Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning of our chat, you are a physiotherapist. And uh, in our next chat, we will be talking about uh, those running injuries that, you, that we mentioned uh, a little bit before. But let's talk a bit about the present and the future. We live in strange times with the COVID-19 pandemic right now. But as a runner, I'm sure you have some plans for this year. So what are your running plans for 2021? I actually, I've actually got a, a cycling event on that's on in um, about seven weeks. It's a 145 kilometer ride. Um, on the Great Ocean Road here in lovely Australia. Um, but I'm hoping that events start opening and particularly the uh, trail running series that I participate in every year that opens back up. They canceled last year, but um, it's through our winter. So it's still about five months away from that, that happening. Um, so once this cycling event is finished, I'm gonna focus a lot more on running and I'm going to start doing a lot more trail running and compete in about four or five of those trail events over this so, year. So, uh, it was great talking to you, Brody. Thanks again. And I'm looking forward to our next chat. Roman, I had a pleasure chatting to you. I always like talking about this sort of stuff. So, um, thanks for having me on board. I hope you enjoyed listening to the episode. If so, I would appreciate you subscribe to the Happy Runner podcast and recommend it to other runners you know. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts and on our webpage. Happy running!